Well, good morning, everybody. As Temi said, my name is Austin, and I am one of the pastors here at Circle. And I am just so glad and humbled that you would join us this morning. Like Temi said, today is a day of celebration. Did you know that? Did you know that today is a celebration? Did you come prepared? Did you bring your party hats and noisemakers? Don't worry, that's not a thing. If you do have your noisemakers, let's maybe just tuck those back in our pockets. You may have noticed the streamers hanging from the ceiling when you came in. There is actually one streamer there. But today is a day worth celebrating. Today, Pentecost Sunday, marks 50 days, which is what Pentecost means, 50th, it's 50 days since Easter. And if you have been tracking with us over the last 50 days, you would know that we are exploring the movement of Jesus and how it did not end at Easter, but rather it continued, just like as our series title suggests. The movement of Jesus was to be continued. And it's been over the last 50 days that we've used the book of Acts as our roadmap to see how this movement continued. If you watched any or rewatch any of the talks in this series, or if you've spent any time yourself in the book of Acts, you could come to the conclusion that community is a critical part in the continuation of this movement. Community is, and still is, an important cog in the continuation and expansion of the movement of Jesus' kingdom here on earth. A movement that now includes between 2.4 and 2.6 billion people, according to a study done by the Center of the Study for Global Christianity. This same study projects that global, the global Christian population will grow to about 3.3 billion people by 2050. Community has played an important role in the continuation of this movement. But if we were to look back at the history of this movement, we would have to come to the conclusion that there's also something different at work here. It can't just be this idea of community that kept this movement going and growing. There's got to be something more under the hood. We should ask the question on Pentecost Sunday, what makes the church different from any other community? What makes this gathering of people different from any other group on the planet? If it's simply that we gather once or more a week, how does that make us any different from a sports team meeting for practices? If it's simply that we do nice things for others, how are we any different from other charities? If it's simply that we gather to sing and we have a band, how are we different from a concert or a karaoke bar? If it's simply that we gather to read the Bible, 
How does that make us any different from your mom's book club? If it's not these things, what makes us different? It's this question that makes the celebration of Pentecost so important to us as a church community. Pentecost is the day that the church was born. Pentecost is the church's birthday. Not our church, but the global church. And this is why we celebrate Pentecost. It's on Pentecost that we see the beginning of the church. We meet the community that's tasked with keeping this movement going. And it's in the book of Acts that we read the birthing story of the church. I don't know about you, but I don't typically like hearing birthing stories. I could probably do without them. But this birthing story is probably one that we should revisit often. Because it's in this birth story that we are reminded a lot about why this movement continued at all through this community called the church. So let's look at this story. If you have your Bible with you, or you're using the Bible app, let's look at the story in Acts 2, verses 1 to 12. If you're following along with our message notes in the Bible app, you'll find the story there as well. Now, before I begin reading from Acts 2, verses 1 to 12, if you don't have a Bible, or if you would like to learn how we use the Bible app here at Circle, please stop by the information desk and let them know that you would like help with either the Bible app or you would like a physical copy of the Bible. We would love to get that in your hands. At Circle, we are absolutely committed to getting you access to the Bible because as a community, we believe that it is one of the ways that God speaks to us. And we fully believe that he wants to speak to you. Yes, even you. Just a mini sermon for you. All right, let's look at Acts 2, verses 1 to 12. When the day of Pentecost came, the dis they, which means the disciples, were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house they were sitting in. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, by tongues, Luke means they spoke other languages. He continues, Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us is hearing our own native language? Now Luke, after listing through all of the languages that they were speaking, he continues with the crowd's response. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? It's here that the crowd is trying to make sense of these events. 
They think these guys must be drunk. Maybe they thought they had too much wine at their book club. And I mean, that happens. But it's here that Peter gives his Pentecost sermon. And you can read that in full starting in verse 14 of Acts chapter 2. But in short, Peter quotes the prophet Joel to help people make sense of what they're witnessing. Acts 2, verses 17 to 18. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will, will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Peter then, after giving this recount of Joel's words, begins to explain everything that has happened through the lens of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. He says, the scene in front of you is because of Jesus. And after his, un his powerful and impactful unpacking of these events, the people respond. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter tells them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who the Lord will call. And this is exactly what the people did. They responded to this call, one of repentance and baptism, and they received the Holy Spirit. Like Temi and Luke and Acts tells us, 3,000 people joined the movement. This group that started with just a handful of people grew to over 3,000 in a single day. The movement exploded. And it is at the end of this story, it's at the end of chapter 2 in Acts, that Luke paints for us the best picture of the church we have in Scripture. It's here we see people come together to learn from the apostles who have spent time with Jesus. They gather to eat together and to build relationships with one another. They gave generously and they cared for the needs of others. And they saw God do amazing things in their midst. These things became their pattern, meeting together to learn, worship, know and care for one another. And God continued to add to their number. The community grew. But I think that if we were to ask them what made them different, I don't think that they would have pointed to these activities as a thing that set them apart. If we were to ask them, the early church found in Acts, what separated their community, the community that we find in Acts, from other communities? I think for them that it was the presence of one character that made this community different. It is the presence of one person that not only made them different, but made the church even possible. And it is only one person who sustains this community 
in the continuing of this movement. And it is this one person who will continue to sustain it. And that's the presence of the Holy Spirit. Theologian J.I. Packer once wrote, Were it not for the work of the Holy Spirit, there would be no gospel, no faith, no church, no Christianity in, all, or in the world at all. Had the Holy Spirit not come as he does on Pentecost, there would be no church. None of us would know the name of Jesus. None of us would know that there is a God who wants to have a relationship with you. You would not have heard that there is a God that not only loves you but likes you, and you wouldn't know that he wants to know you and that he wants you to know him. Without the Holy Spirit, the movement of Jesus does not continue. Full stop. And it's the presence of the person of the Holy Spirit coming on Pentecost that births the church. Not only that, but it is the presence of God through the person of the Holy Spirit that makes the church different from every other kind of community. It is not what we do or where we meet, but rather who dwells with us and in us that separates us, that sets us apart. It's God's Spirit dwelling among us and, each, and, and in each one of us that makes this community called the church different. In the story, it's no coincidence that God sends the Spirit with a powerful wind and tongues of fire. Those images were often associated with the presence of God resting on the temple in the Old Testament. And it is now at the birth of the church that the Spirit comes and rests on this community. This is what separates us. We, the church, are the community that God has chosen to dwell with and in, just like a new temple. This, my friends, is what sets us apart. It's what makes us different. All right, question answered. We can all go home. But hold on a second. We should probably take a massive step backwards and ask a really important question. Who is the Holy Spirit? If this is true, if it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that sets this community apart, if the Holy Spirit is an important member of this community, we should probably ask the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Now, this is a complex question. Not only because we could flip through thousands of years worth of pages where scholars have tried to wrestle with this question, and we could flip through those pages and see the church trying to wrap their head around this idea of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is a lot that we could sift through around this topic. But this question is also complicated and complex because we all enter the conversation differently. We all have varying levels of experience, interest, and understanding when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And I think the book of Acts highlights this perfectly. On one occasion in Acts 19, 
Paul runs into some followers of Jesus in Ephesus, and he asks them, Had you, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they answer, no. We haven't even heard there was a Holy Spirit. And maybe this is you. Maybe you're just exploring faith or you're relatively new to it. And as I've been talking, you're asking, Holy Spirit? I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Maybe this is all new to you. And if that is you, welcome to this important conversation. Or maybe you enter the conversation and you're more like Paul in that story. You've received the Holy Spirit personally, and you're totally comfortable talking about it. Maybe you have a pretty good grasp of who the Holy Spirit is, and that's great. Maybe you've even experienced the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I want you to know that your insights and experiences are important to this conversation. But maybe on the other end of that spectrum, maybe there's some of you that are like Simon the sorcerer, which is a story that can be found in Acts 8. And you don't have the healthiest relationship when it comes to the Holy Spirit. In that story, Simon sees the apostles lay hands on people and them receiving the Holy Spirit. And upon seeing this, he says, I desire that power too. He sees the Holy Spirit as a power to be obtained or mastered. He sees the Holy Spirit like the force in Star Wars. And his desire is to be a Christian Jedi. He only desires the Spirit for its byproducts. And perhaps that's been you. Perhaps you've only been interested in the perks that come with knowing the Holy Spirit. And let's talk about that. Because I believe that's also an important conversation. Because I believe that there is more to the Holy Spirit than just that. And lastly, maybe you're resistant to the idea of the Holy Spirit because you think it's a little bit weird, or maybe you aren't sure that it's safe. Or maybe you don't think that the Holy Spirit is available to you. If that's you, I'm glad that you're here. So, our question, who is the Holy Spirit? Where do we begin to help shape our understanding of the Holy Spirit? I think that ultimately we should start with this main idea. The Holy Spirit isn't some vague power to be obtained or a force to be mastered but rather, he is a person to know. This can be at times really difficult because we can't physically see the Spirit. We can't physically see the person of the Holy Spirit, but we can see the byproducts of his presence. The Holy Spirit gives power and courage and strength and guides us in the mission Jesus has called us to. But it's important to remember that the Spirit isn't a power or a magic trick, or something to be mastered, but rather a person to know. The Holy Spirit is a character found in the very beginning pages of Genesis. He is a divine being, a part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. He's involved in the creating and sustaining of life. He is present throughout the story of God's chosen people, Israel, and we see the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus at the time of his baptism. The Spirit speaks to us, teaches us. The Spirit convicts us of all of the bad things that we've done. 
The Spirit guides us and intercedes on our behalf, and he calls us to go here and there. Just like he told Philip to talk to the Ethiopian eunuch or Peter to go and visit Cornelius' house. Those are stories that we unpacked in this series. Now, this is a very, very, very brief explanation of who the Holy Spirit is. We could definitely spend a lot of time talking about this, and we probably should as a community. But what we do have time for today is that the Holy Spirit is relational and not an impersonal force and not just a power to be mastered. The Holy Spirit is a distinct personality from God the Father and the Son. Jesus himself was a strong believer in the role of the Holy Spirit in continuing this movement. He even talked about that, he even talked that a reason that him leaving was a good thing was so that the Spirit would come and help the church with her mission. John 16, verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is good, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go, the advocate, and by that he means the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus stressed this again at the beginning of Acts. Before he leaves them, Jesus tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit's arrival. Acts 1, verse 4. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. They need to wait because they need the Holy Spirit to continue the movement he started. Verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Those are the last words that Jesus spoke to them in person. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comforts us, strengthens us, and leads us. Without the Holy Spirit, the task Jesus leaves the church to reach, teach, and equip people to follow him, that would be entirely impossible for us. It's the Holy Spirit that made this movement possible. It's the Holy Spirit that made this community possible. Now, if we were to cycle back to our first question of what makes this community different, if we were to cycle to the question of what made the community in Acts different, for the early church, it was the presence of the Holy Spirit that set them apart as a community. So as a church, as we celebrate another birthday on Pentecost, maybe we should reflect as a local community and ask one more crucial question. Is this true of us? Are we, this local body, a community that is set apart because we are reliant on the Holy Spirit? That we are reliant on the Holy Spirit to accomplish the calling that God has placed on this community? Are we aware of his presence and his guidance? 
there was a quote from A.W. Tozer that stopped me in my tracks as I was preparing for this message. And he said this, I remind you that there are churches so completely out of God's hands that if the Holy Spirit withdrew from them, they wouldn't find out about it for months. I read that and I said to myself, I hope that isn't true of us. If the Holy Spirit wasn't here, would we know the difference? If you're a follower of Jesus, this should be a challenging question. Because if he's not, if the Holy Spirit isn't present with us and in us, who are we? Are we just another book club, TED talk, concert kind of community? Tozer also said this, if the Holy Spirit withdrew from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. As I read through the book of Acts, I know that to be 100% true. But is this true of us? Would we know the difference? I'm going to be really honest with you, friends. This is the kind of question that keeps me up at night. Are we a community that is so in tune with the Holy Spirit that we are aware of his presence with us and in us? Or would we notice if the difference if he weren't here? Are we a community that is so reliant on the Holy Spirit's presence that 95% of what we do would be impossible without him? Are we that kind of community? Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit isn't present here. I'm not saying that the sky is falling. But I want to ask the crucial question. Would we know the difference? I think that this question matters. Because if we aren't Holy Spirit-led, empowered, and filled as a community, what are we doing here? If the Holy Spirit isn't present here, if it's His presence isn't what separates us, if we are not led, empowered, and filled with the Spirit, the calling that God has placed on this local community would be impossible and is impossible. There is no way that we can do this on our own. There is no way that we can sustain this building or care for the needs of our community. There is no way that we are going to reach our neighborhood. There is no way that we're going to be able to keep this movement going in Stonebridge. So we might as well pack up our tents and move on. Are we a people uniquely different because the Holy Spirit is present here? Are we a people reliant on the Holy Spirit to do what we do? I don't know about you, but I have a strong desire for this to be true. 
I want to be a people and a community that when our city looks in here and sees this community, they say there's something different about these people. I want to be the kind of community that witnesses the things that only God can do. I want to witness things that cause me to be in awe and wonder and look at what God has done here. I want to see people healed. I want to see people come to know Jesus. I want to see the generosity of God's people flow like a tidal wave. I want to see people transformed in Jesus' name by the Holy Spirit. I so want this to be true of us. I want to be a people who are reliant on the Spirit. I want to be a part of this community, a community who is led by the Spirit, who is empowered by the Spirit, and who is filled with the Spirit. If you're with me, if this is something that you desire, our last, last, last question is where do we start? Where do we start? I think one of the main places that we need to start is by getting to know the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is a person, then we should probably get to know him. So a very practical way that you can continue to explore this topic is by engaging in three resources. The first one that we have for you is going to be on our church profile starting after the service, and that is a featured Bible reading plan. If you're following around with the message notes, it's already linked in there. It's only six days, so it's not a large commitment, but it's a Bible reading plan that looks at the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Again, if you're not connected with the YouVersion app, please come talk to us at the information desk. The other is I have a Bible project video that tackles the theme of the person of the Holy Spirit in the whole story of the Bible. Remember, the Spirit shows up on the very first pages of this story. So that is a great resource, which is on a QR code, but also linked in the message notes. Now, I also do have a book suggestion for anyone who is an avid reader, and I have found it super helpful as I have prepared for this message and has also helped me in my understanding of the Spirit. And it's a book called Forgotten God by Francis Chan. There is a link in the message notes again and a QR code on the screen if you would like to look at that resource. I want to invite you to check out those resources to unpack more that question, who is the Holy Spirit. The other place that we can start is in prayer. If we want to be a community that is reliant on the Holy Spirit, then prayer is a natural posture and activity. As I've been learning more and more about our 90-year history as a church, I've come to learn that the, this kind of Holy Spirit reliance in prayer has always been a part of our DNA and culture. Maybe only a few of you will remember the name Reverend Walter Bolt, but he once said this of prayer, the church of Jesus Christ draws her power from the living God, the Holy Spirit. If we are to be effective, 
more of our members must give themselves to the ministry of prayer. If we desire to be more reliant on the Holy Spirit as a community, we all must, as Walter Bolt pleads, give ourselves to the ministry of prayer at Circle. We must be a church that prays for more of the Holy Spirit, that prays for guidance and courage and power. We need to intercede on behalf of one another and the needs of our church and our community. So prayer is a natural place to start. And we gather in three regular spaces of prayer here at Circle. And I want to, I want to invite you all to consider how you might be part of one or more of these opportunities. Every Sunday morning at 10 a.m., in the room that's by the stairs, by the office, we gather to pray before our service. We pray for our service and for the needs in our community. So that's one place. We also meet at Tuesday, on Tuesday mornings here at the church in that same room at 7 a.m. to pray. pray. Maybe that's a space to join us in praying for the needs of others. Lastly, we periodically gather for church-wide prayer nights. Our next one is on Monday, June 12th at 7 p.m. in the chapel. Please join us as we gather to pray for our church community. As a community, we are in a season of transition, and we all need to give ourselves to the ministry of prayer and to invite the Holy Spirit to guide and strengthen us. So please consider any of these spaces of prayer as a next step from this message. This morning, as we conclude both the message and our series from the book of Acts on the movement that was and is to be continued, I want us to conclude with a time of communion. But as we transition into communion, I want you to take a moment to reflect to reflect on the question, who is the Holy Spirit to me? If you're someone who desires to be filled with the Holy Spirit, take that step today. Take that step today and have somebody pray for you to be filled with the Spirit. If that's you and you desire to be filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit, can I invite you to go to our chapel, which is just out these back doors, and there is someone who is a member of our prayer team who would love to pray for you to be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is different for everyone, so I can't tell you what that will be like. But what I do know is that God is a good Father who gives good gifts so there's nothing to be afraid of. The Holy Spirit's presence in our lives and his main work in us is to fill us with God's love and is to make us look more and more like Jesus. So if that's you, can I encourage you to head to the chapel after the service? But like I said, we're going to conclude our series with communion. 
I want us to end this conversation of this movement, a conversation that is focused a lot about community, around one of the most powerful symbols of community that Jesus ever gave us, a gathering around a table over a meal. It was during that first communion before Jesus was betrayed that he gave us this powerful symbol, gave us this powerful reminder. It's here we see community around the table. But it's also where we're reminded that this is where Jesus' movement begins. This is where the baton gets handed off. And it really begins here. Because without his sacrifice, we would all be lost. Without him ultimately giving his life for us, the Holy Spirit would never have come on Pentecost, and this movement would have died. It's during communion that we were, are reminded that it's Christ's presence with us in the person of the Holy Spirit that makes this community extraordinary. Now, he uses ordinary elements, the bread and the cup, but he does this in a way to remind us that we are set aside, that we are set apart by him to accomplish his kingdom on earth. And part of that, and part of joining him, that he gives up his life so that we can be reconciled to God the Father, so that there can be forgiveness of sin. So, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. So that take your wafer out. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he says, this is my body given for you. So I invite you to take the wafer in your hand. And before you eat it, break it. And remember that Christ gave up his life so that you could be made right with God. Let's eat and remember. In the same way, Jesus took the cup. And he said, this is my blood. This is my blood of the new promise, the new covenant, which is poured out for you. So take this cup. And when you drink it, remember that Christ poured out his blood for you so that he could pour out his spirit on us. Let's drink and remember. It's the presence of God that makes this community different. Let us never forget that. Let's be the kind of community that is so aware of his presence and so reliant on him being with us and in us that we cannot do anything without him. Let us have the attitude of Moses when he pleads with God. If your presence does not go with us. Do not send us from here. Because what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face 
of the earth. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. Spirit, we ask that you would fill our community, that you would fill each person in this room and online, God. We ask that we would be set apart and different because your spirit dwells in us personally and as a community. That everything that we do, all of the activities, all of the things that we do that are good in our community would be impossible without you. So Father, let us be a people who are marked by your spirit, who are filled with your love, and who are made to look more and more like Jesus. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.